Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. We seem, you know, born to love one another. That, I mean, when you somebody gets in a crisis, their mind goes to the people they love. This is just what we do. So that's wonderful. And then also, there's this train coming down the track with the word death on it for everybody, for you and for the people you love. Those things seem so hard to reconcile. And now what what I do mostly is just deny the death part. It's going to happen to everybody else, but not to me, because I have this special exclusion from God. Uh, so one of the, the, the book asks the question, how in the world did Lincoln get up and move on after this death of his son? Uh, especially in, everyone hated him. He was screwing up. He... Uh, but for me, it opened another question was how do we, is it possible to, to maintain a positive, loving stance in the world knowing that it's all going downhill in a material sense? Uh, and this is something I've been interested in this since I was a little altar boy. You know, this idea that death is real and love is real. Uh, what do we make of that? You know, certainly you could, you could just walk around in cringing fear. You could walk around in denial. Uh, but I met people in my life who were able to actually sounds strange, but who were able to use impending death as a source of joy. In other words, the party's ending at midnight. That doesn't mean it's not a pretty good party. The dogmas of the quiet past are inadequate to the stormy present. The occasion is piled high with difficulty, and we must rise with the occasion. As our case is new, so we must think anew and act anew. The judicious and pragmatic words of President Abraham Lincoln in a message to Congress in 1862. Hello, how are you? And you're very welcome to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. It's lovely to have your company this evening. What does it mean to live a good life? Can grief and suffering transform our moral consciousness? And is it possible to let go? Well, on tonight's show, I'm going to tackle those questions with two unique and talented voices. One an American, the other an Australian. Writers of tremendous insight, sensitivity and originality. George Saunders reimagines the death of President Abraham Lincoln's precious son Willie and Hannah Kendon packs The Good People, published by Picador. This is a show about political leadership, parental grief and the psychology of folk and fairy lore. But first, blame and guilt are the furies that haunt houses where death takes children like Willie Lincoln. And in this case, there was more than enough blame to go around. The hypnotic words of George Saunders from his latest novel, Lincoln in the Bardo, published by Bloomsbury. Hi, my name is George Saunders. I'm a short story writer and I've just published my first novel. It's called uh, Lincoln in the Bardo. Uh, I'm also a teacher of creative writing at Syracuse University in the U.S. Uh, the book basically tells the story of uh, Abe Lincoln going into the crypt of his uh, late and beloved son, Willie, back in 1862. The book is set all in one night in the graveyard, and it's uh, narrated primarily by ghosts uh, with an occasional punctuation by historical sources. So I'll read from a chapter here. About noon, the president, Mrs. Lincoln, and Robert came down and visited the lost and loved one for the last time together. They desired that there should be no spectator of their last sad moments in that house with their dead child and brother. They remained nearly one half an hour. While they were thus engaged, there came one of the heaviest storms of rain and wind that has visited this city for years, and the terrible storm without seemed almost in unison with the storm of grief within. In Witness to the Young Republic, a Yankees Journal, by Benjamin Brown French, 
edited by D.B. Cole. During the half hour the family was closeted with the dead boy, lightning cleaved the dark sky outside, thunder as terrible as artillery fire made the crockery shudder, and violent winds charged in from the northwest. Epstein, opposite. From throughout the spacious halls that evening, great sounds of grief could be heard, not all emanating from the direction of the room where Mrs. Lincoln lay insensate. The president's deeper groans could also be heard. In My Ten Years at the White House by Elliot Sternlich. A century and a half has passed, and yet it still seems intrusive to dwell upon that horrible scene, the shock, the querulous disbelief, the savage cries of sorrow. Epstein, opposite. It was only just at bedtime, when the boy would normally present himself for some talk or roughhousing, that Mr. Lincoln seemed truly mindful of the irreversibility of the loss. In Selected Memories from a Life of Service by Stanley Honer. Really well done in the book.